Hey, um, I just want to uh, make this announcement. I know I made this announcement a few weeks ago and it didn't come to pass, but tonight it really is going to come to pass. Uh, Dr. Larry, you know, Mitchum has been here doing uh, the creation science seminar. In one of his most, um, it is my absolute favorite of all of his presentations. It is a presentation called The Intelligence of Ancient Man. And uh, it will take two weeks for him, two, two sessions for him to complete this. And I'm telling you right now, uh, I would just really encourage you guys to come tonight and next Sunday night to this um, if you don't make any of the rest of them, the intelligence of ancient man, it is absolutely fascinating, the information that he'll bring to light and uh, the images that you will see and the, the things that you will learn. And uh, so tonight at 7 o'clock right here, we'll have uh, the presentation uh, called The Intelligence of Ancient Man. And uh, I would just really encourage you, if you can make it, make the time come out. You will not, I promise you, be disappointed. It's absolutely fascinating. If you have children, um, you know, that are in school, bring them. Uh, these have been so good. And last week he dealt with the, the hoaxes, the evolutionary hoaxes, the things that they're teaching in textbooks that have not only, they've been proven, and even the atheists and evolutionists know that they're not true, but they, they just leave them in there because... I don't know why, because they're rooted and grounded in a lie, I guess. But come tonight, uh, the intelligence of ancient man, and I think you'll be really, really uh, pleased. Amen? Open your Bible now to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we started by uh, talking about uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we've come now to 1 Corinthians 13, which was not written in and, in and for itself, but it was written as a continuation of Paul's thought in this letter to the Corinthians. And chapter 13 flows right out of chapter 12, which deals specifically with spiritual gifts. And Paul ends chapter 12 by, by saying, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way is love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. In other words, my speech, what I have to say is meaningless without love. Though I have gift of prophecy, though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So, don't make the mistake of thinking that it's your gift or your ability that, that makes you somebody. Paul says you can have all kinds of gifts and all kinds of abilities, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I can give all for all, but without love, it profits me nothing. So we're talking about love, and Paul is contrasting love with gifts. But more importantly, remember we said he is talking about this foundational truth, love. And love is not just a fruit of the Spirit, but love is the fruit. It is the byword. It is in one word, all of the fruit personified, described. We talked about those characteristics listed in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things... Those things are what give taste and flavor to this fruit called the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, a tree doesn't produce nine different kinds of fruit. A tree produces one kind of fruit. And the tree, the fruit that, that the good tree produces, 
The, the fruit that the vine produces. Jesus said, I'm the true vine in John 15. The, the fruit that the vine produces is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of our flesh. It's not the fruit of our works. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is that which is born and produced and comes from the life of the Spirit in us. And that's why love is so significant and so defining because love, remember, is not just the governor of the gifts, but love is the indicator of that life that is within me. Amen? Amen. So Paul goes on, and let's go down to, to, to chapter, and I'm sorry, to verse 4. And Paul begins to list the attributes If we can use that word of love. In other words, this is what love looks like. This is what love sounds like. This is love walked out. This is love personified. And he says, love suffers long. Some of your translations may say love is patient. But that word there, suffers, I think is an important word. There is something inherent in us that we want to escape suffering and there's nothing wrong with that I don't like to suffer if you like to suffer raise your hand see nobody likes to suffer right but yet we also understand that suffering is a part of the condition of living in this world there is suffering amongst us there is suffering all around there is suffering that exists love suffers long In other words, love, there is, patience is linked to this. It's understood in this. We could say this, love patiently suffers all, dot, dot, dot. All what? All. Whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever circumstance, whatever situation you may find yourself in, love suffers long. It patiently suffers It endures. We're going to see that word a little bit later. Love suffers long. Love is kind. What does it mean to be kind? It creates trouble to no one. Love is kind. A person who is kind, kindness means that I'm not going to create trouble. I'm not going to trouble you. You understand what I'm saying? Love is kind. It creates trouble to no one. It does not envy. Love is not grieved because someone possesses a greater portion of material or spiritual or emotional anything. Love is not grieved because someone possesses a greater portion but is content to prefer others before itself. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It doesn't desire to be noticed or applauded, but wishes that God may be all in all. It doesn't draw attention to itself. You you see the contrast of the nature and the character and the very essence of who God is contrasted against the reality of this flesh and the world. Love is not puffed up. It's not inflated with its own self-importance. For it knows it has not. Listen, this is so true. And it's so important to catch this. It's not inflated with its own self-importance. For love knows that it has nothing that it has not received. And it deserves nothing that it has been given. Love knows that it deserves nothing it has received. And love knows that everything it has received, it didn't get it because it deserved it. But it came from the grace of God. It's not puffed up. It's not inflated with its own self-importance. True humility arises from a sense of the fullness of God in us and us in him. See, there is such a thing as false humility. 
Do you know that you can be proud that you're humble? <laughs> that's kind of a, <laughs> that's what we call an oxymoron. <laughs> well, I'm just so proud that I'm a humble person. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> See, true humility comes from a, a, a reality, a revelation of God's fullness. That, that the fullness of God is in us and that I am fully in him. That is humbling. That should bring us to humility. Not to be puffed up in ourselves because we realize in receiving his fullness, we didn't get it because we deserve it. We received it by his grace. Because we know that that we have nothing that has not been received and we have received nothing because we deserved it. And so an understanding of God's fullness brings us to a place of humility. That's how humility arises in our hearts. Love doesn't behave rudely. It never acts out of its place or character. It doesn't seek its own. Love is never satisfied, but in the welfare, comfort, and salvation of all, not just in me. It's not provoked. You know, if you have a King James Bible, it, it says right there, love is not easily provoked. And that's true. But I want you to understand that word easily is not, is not supposed to be there. It's not that love is not just, it's not that it's just not easily provoked, but love is not provoked, period. It's not provoked. It's not irritated or made sour or bitter. It doesn't matter if it took me a long time to become irritated, sour, and bitter. If I become irritated, sour, and bitter, then I cease to be in love. Love doesn't become irritated, Ever, sour and bitter, ever. Love and a root of bitterness cannot, cannot, cannot coexist. Love will root out that bitterness every time it must. Because love by its very nature and essence is contrary to bitterness. It is. It's not provoked. It's not bitter. It's not sour. It's not irritated. Love thinks no evil. It believes no evil where no evil seems. In other words, love is not cynical. Love is not looking for an ulterior motive. Love is not always wondering, what's up your sleeve? Well, I know they did that, but you know, I just think they're up to no good. Love thinks no evil. It does not invent, devise, reason, or infer evil in any word or in any act. What do y'all think about that? I need to pray. I need to pray for myself. I can't, I can't honestly say that this convicts me. It convicts me. But you know what? It's not, it's not that it's just convicting me. It's, it's the word of God that's revealing that which has, is still come behind. It reveals the areas of my life, my heart, my mind that have not been renewed and conformed. I am all of this and more in Christ, but the reality is I can't just say that I love my brother and then not love him. We know that if we're in Christ, we're to love our brother. So if I'm in Christ, I can say I love you, but if my life doesn't demonstrate that love, then there's somewhere there's a disconnect here. And Paul is writing to these Corinthians But he wrote this letter, though he did not write this letter to us, God preserved this letter for us. Because the same things that those Corinthians were struggling with 
and having irritability and bitterness and sourness and unforgiveness and thinking evil and rejoicing in iniquity and being full of themselves and trying to get noticed and applauded because of their gifts and all of these things. The same things that were present in them and among them because of the sinfulness of their flesh and their fleshly nature and their carnal minds. The same thing that was in them, guess what? It's in us. But Paul is saying, that's not who you are in Christ. And that's not who Christ is. God, remember, God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. God is love. God is contrary to the carnal nature, the flesh nature, the world. And love is contrary also to that because God is love. And that's why love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It finds no joy in wrongfulness or injustice. This is why love is able to bless even its enemies. Jesus said, hey guys, it's not enough that you Bless your friends. Anybody can do that. But can you bless your enemies? Can you pray for those who spitefully use you and despise you? Can you do that? Whew. Love can. Because love hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can we say that? Can we say to those who seem to be our enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, what I want to say is, well, they ought to know. (laughs) I've just been provoked, and I've ceased to walk in love at that point. Now, love brings me back and says, well, yes, that's true. Maybe they should know, but, but obviously they don't know something, or otherwise they would not have done what they've done. Father, forgive them. As you have forgiven me, so Father, I forgive them. As I have freely received, as I have freely been given your forgiveness, Lord, I freely give to them the same forgiveness. I don't rejoice in their wrongfulness. I don't rejoice in their injustice. I don't rejoice even that they may get what they have sown. I don't rejoice in that, God. I don't rejoice in iniquity. Rejoice Rather, in the truth, because love rejoices in the truth. Love finds joy in the truth. Love finds joy in the truth when the truth is convenient and when the truth is not convenient. It rejoices in the truth. Do you know the truth is not always convenient? And I'm not talking about global warming, okay? Have you ever, have you ever had the light of truth shined upon you and you realize, oh, Man, that is not, God, that was not a real convenient time for you to reveal that truth to me. It doesn't matter. When the truth is revealed and made known, I should rejoice in it, whether it's convenient for me or not. Because love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. This word bears is an interesting word. We think of the word bears as we're carrying something. But this word bears in the Greek literally means a, 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 a covering. It's a covering. It's a roof. It's a, it's a roof over. This is what this word, love bears all things. In other words, love covers all things. And under this covering of love, love contains all things. It's able to hold all things under its covering it's a word that, that, that it's, it means the same thing like a thatched roof over a building. Now think of love in those terms. Think of love not as carrying something, but, but think of love in terms that it's covering everything. And under love, all things are contained. It conceals everything that should be concealed. There are some things, 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sin. 
There are some things that love should conceal, that love should contain. You know, we don't talk about the sin of gossip. You know, we're all into homosexuality and adultery and all that, the, you know, the big ones. But, but when, when someone tells us something in confidence, love says it's covered. It's, it's under the covering. I don't rejoice in the iniquity that may have been revealed. I rejoice in the truth. And so love covers, it contains all things. That doesn't mean there's proper discipline. There's a proper course of action for all things. But even in our disciplining, even in the proper action or course of action for all things, if we don't take that course of action in love, we have erred. If we're going because we're rejoicing in someone's iniquity, though we would never say that, we would never put it in those terms, but, but you know, we've all inside felt, boy, finally they're going to get what they deserve. And if you haven't ever had that thought, then I'm just going to believe that you can't be human. And if you persist in telling me you've never had that thought, then I'm going to say I'm going to pray for you for, for, for the sin of lying. <laughs> and you need to repent. We've all had those thoughts, but those thoughts are not consistent with love. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. I believe love is grieved at iniquity. Love covers all things, it contains all things. It's able to hold all things. We can't come to God with something and God say, I can't, I can't hold that, I can't contain, that's just a little too much for me, you just lost it with me. You know God will never do that to you? That's what we do. Well, you know, that, that's, that's just a little too much for me. You know, I, I can take it up to here, but, but now you've pushed me over the edge and I, I can't handle that. Mm-mm. Love doesn't do that. Love bears all things. It does. Because God is able to bear all things. Because God is love. Love believes all things. It thinks the best of others. Not the worst, but the best. It has faith in all things. Aren't you glad that God believed that by sending the Son, He could bring salvation, though we were hopelessly lost? He didn't say, well, you know, I thought about saving the human race, but you know, they're just so far gone, I just don't think I can do it. Uh-uh. No. When you look at somebody, do you believe all things are possible? Or do you say, you know, they're just so, they're so far gone, there's just no hope for them. They've disappointed me so many times, I just don't believe they're ever going to, mm Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. When you can't see any reason to hope, guess what? Love keeps hoping. Because why? Because hope speaks of that which is not seen, yet which is real. Love endures all things. It bears up under all persecutions, all maltreatment from your enemies and even those who profess to be your friends. I mean, it's one thing when you're betrayed by an enemy, right? You expect that from an enemy. But when you're betrayed by a friend, that's something different, isn't it? But yet love, love is able to endure even that and bear up under that. It's able to endure adversity with a mind resigned to the sovereignty of God. God, how could you let... Them do that. Mm-mm. God, I don't know why they did that. But I'm trusting 
that in you I will find it in myself to forgive them in hope and believe that somehow reconciliation and restoration will come. And if it doesn't, then God, it's in your hands. Love resigns itself to the sovereignty of God, to the providence of God in all things. Love never fails. Love is all that is above and more. Love is of God for God is love. And guess who can never fail? God can never fail. God, how'd you let that happen? You must have been asleep. No, he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. He never fails. So I will trust him. This is Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. He says, guys, love is the more excellent way and love goes contrary to everything you're doing and everything you're saying and everything you're being. Love is the opposite of that. Love is the counter to that. What you're doing is failing because you're divided. You are fighting amongst yourselves. And that very thing which was meant to to bring you together and build you up in unity is, is dividing you. But if you can get a revelation of the love of God, if you will let love rule and govern and be the manifestation of the life you, you, uh, that you, what's the word I'm looking for? Profess to have. That's the word, profess. If you will let love be the rule and let love manifest, love will never fail. And then he says this, verse 8, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It will. This isn't an argument for secessionist theology. This is Paul simply saying, listen, all of these things are things, but love is not a thing. Love is a person. Love is not only of God, but God is love, and God can never fail. Everything else will pass away. This is what Jesus said, remember? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Why? Because he is the living word of God. He is the word that was God, that was with God, that is eternally God. He will never pass away. He can never fail. He abides permanently, eternally. He is the living word. He is love personified. But everything else can fail and can fall away and can vanish away. Verse 9, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect or when that which is complete has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, do you know what the difference is between a child and a man? Do you know physiologically, in terms of, uh, uh, you know a child is no less human than a man is? A child is totally and completely human. And that child has everything that will enable it to grow up physically and become a mature human being. But there is a difference between a child and a man. There is a level of maturity that is different. Paul said, I was a child at one time. And he's not just speaking in biological terms. He's speaking spiritually. He said, I used to think as a child. But, but I have put away childish things and now that I have become a man, now that I have become complete, mature. It's okay, mama. 
You see he's contrasting being a child with being a man. He's contrasting that which is complete which, with that which is in part. When that which is complete has come, that which is in part shall be done away with. Now, verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, I believe, church, there is no doubt there is coming a day when we will see Jesus face to face. And that which is in part shall be done away with. But I'm telling you what, I think Paul is speaking of more than just one day because he didn't want the Corinthians to just come into unity and love for one another one day when Jesus came back. Obviously, that's going to be the case when Jesus comes back, right? But listen, because there is a reality of Christ coming, there is a reality of me seeing him face to face, that does not change the reality of who he is and who I am in him. Does not change the exhortation throughout scripture that we are to grow up into him in all things. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4.13 Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, a complete, a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Is Christ a complete man? Yes, he is. Is there anything lacking in Christ? No, there's not. If you are Born again today, where are you? In Christ. If you're in Christ, are you complete or incomplete? You're complete. Colossians 3.9, for in, 3.10, for in him you are complete. In Christ, we're complete. But yet, Paul is praying. He says, God has given gifts to the church Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, a complete man. So it's kind of like Paul says, we are saved, but we are also being saved. Listen, my little grandbaby who's in the womb of his mother That baby is complete. When he comes out of that oven, he's going to be a little little hot loaf there. But I'm telling you what, he's going to grow up and he's going to become a full-grown man. Because God has put in him everything necessary for him to grow and become that man. I'm speaking physically But that reality is true spiritually. This is why Paul says, in him you are complete. Corinthians, the reason you only know in part is because you only see in part. Because you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing dimly. Because there are other things that are not allowing you to see clearly. Namely, all of these things we just got through talking about. Because you're so full of yourself. Because you, you want to be noticed and you want to be applauded. Because you want to parade. Because you want to be known. Because you, 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 you. Because it's all about you. But Paul says, no, in reality, it's not all about you. It's all about Christ. If you are looking at these things from the perspective of what it does for you and how it applies to you... You are seeing dimly. You're seeing imperfectly. And you're going to see wrongly. But if you will disappear and look in this mirror 
and see Christ in you, the hope of glory, then you will begin to know even as you are known. Because you will begin to see even as you are seen. How can we look in a mirror and see Christ? This is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 17 and 18, this is what Paul says. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Even as we are beholding as in a mirror and being transformed into the very same image. Whose image is what? Christ, by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, how do we look in a mirror and see Christ? What is the mirror that we are to look into today? You know, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there was a thing called the... The, the bronze laver. And, and you know, back then, mirrors were not made with glass. They were made with polished metal. You have a King James Bible in, in Exodus 38, 8. It says a looking glass, but it's not a looking glass. Glass is not there. They took and they polished bronze. And they perfected and polished that bronze so completely that it was a mirror. And they would fill that laver up with that pure water. And that priest would go to that laver and he would look into that. And guess what the reflection was that he saw? He saw himself. And the point was to make sure he didn't have any imperfections, anything that wasn't supposed to be there before he went into the most holy place. But that labor was symbolic of the word of God. This is the mirror we look into today that reveals who we are and who he is. And I must come to know who I am in light of who he is. If I am still in darkness, this word will reveal that darkness. If I have come to be in Christ, then when I look into this word, I shouldn't see myself, I should see Christ. And the more I look, the more I behold in that mirror, I am being transformed into that very same image. The more I look into this mirror, the more I see Christ, the more I am being transformed into the very image of Christ. And so Paul is using this language because he's helping them understand this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. 1 John 4, 17 and, uh, says this, perfect love. Cast out fear because fear can only exist where there is a sense of incompleteness. Listen. In this love has been perfected, 1 John. That in the day of judgment we have boldness because as he is, so are we in this world. Man, I want you to meditate on that and think about what that scripture is declaring. Because if you, if you really meditate on that long enough, I, I am convinced it should just blow your mind. And you have to accept it. Why? Because it's the word of God. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect or complete love cast out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect or complete in love. Where there is fear... There must be a sense of incompleteness. If I am in Christ, I need to have the revelation, the understanding of that. That if I am in him, then I am complete in him. There cannot be any incompleteness. In spite of what you may believe about yourself... From God's perspective, when he looks at you, you can have boldness and confidence because as he is holy, you are holy. As his son is blameless, so you are blameless and beyond reproach. We studied this today in Colossians. 
in the Bible study this morning. How can you be holy, blameless, and beyond reproach? You know yourself and I know myself. But see, the problem is I'm looking at myself and knowing myself from my point of view, not God's point of view. Because if I'm in the Son, I am complete in Him. Complete what? Completely holy, completely blameless, completely beyond reproach. How do you know that's true, Pastor Jeff? Because that's what the Word of God declares. And I'm not going to trust my heart because my heart is wicked. That's what the scripture says. Don't trust your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord and acknowledge him in all your ways. My heart tells me one thing, but the word of God tells me another thing. So am I going to put faith in my heart or am I going to put faith in the word of God? Honey, I'm going to put faith in the word of God because my heart is wicked, the Bible says. I'm not going to trust my wicked heart. I'm not going to trust it on uh, on its best day with the best intentions and I'm not going to trust it on its worst day when I'm full of guilt and self-condemnation. I'm not going to trust it. Either way you want to go, I'm not going to trust my heart. I'm going to trust what the Word of God declares. I'm going to trust in the finished work of Christ. And if that finished work has become a reality in our life, church, then this is what our life is to be. Not because we're working real hard to make it that, but because that is the life that's in me. And if, that's li- if that life is in me, then that fruit is going to come out of me. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. The same Spirit that's transforming me into the very same image I am to behold as I look into that mirror. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Let's just begin reading in verse 6. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 6. I'm still talking about seeing in part and knowing in part. We need to get a revelation of that which is perfect. That which is complete. Not when it splits the eastern sky open one day. But right now we need to get a revelation of Christ. We need to get a revelation of Christ in us. The hope of glory. Right now, we need to get that revelation. We need to stop seeing and knowing in part, and we, begin, we need to begin to see and know him in his fullness, in his completeness. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6, But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? The psalmist is asking this question. What, what do you think would make the psalmist ask this question? Because he's looking at himself and saying, man, I know who I am, God. Why would you even be mindful of me? I know who man is. Look at humanity and the wreck that it is. God, why would you even be mindful of us? Ah, it speaks of his grace and it speaks of his goodness and his love and his mercy. Or the son of man that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now, who who has God put over all things? Christ who is the man now that all things have become subject to read Ephesians chapter 2 God has created in himself one new man and that man is Christ he has put all things in subjection to Christ but now we do not yet see all things put under him but we see what Jesus I don't see myself as holy. Well, stop looking at yourself and see Jesus. I don't see myself as blameless, Pastor Jeff. Stop looking at yourself and see Jesus. Je- Pastor Jeff, I'm not beyond reproach, I promise you. I know that. But stop looking at yourself and look at Jesus because he is beyond reproach. And if you are in him, you are complete. 
We don't see all things yet, but we see Jesus, who he made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, look at this church, for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. All things are for him, and all things are by him. In bringing many sons to glory, you know who that is? You know who that speaks of? You are the many sons that God has brought to glory in Christ Jesus. To make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We see dimly if we're looking at ourselves. But let's look unto Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Let's look unto Jesus, the one who has already bought for us and attained for us the victory. Let's look unto Jesus, the one who is the fullness of God. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, he told the Colossians. Let's look unto Jesus, who is the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And when we look unto Jesus... We will see him for who he is in his fullness, in his completeness, in his perfection. And we should then see ourselves in him and him in us. And I won't be fearful of what I perceive to be my incompleteness. For I will have been perfected, made complete. How? Not, not, not by what I did. But we are made complete by his love. His love for us. For love speaks of maturity. It speaks of being complete. Now abide these three. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now think about this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Who is the object of our faith, church? Faith is not a substance. Faith is a gift that God has given us. And the object of our faith is not what we can do. The object of our faith is what he has already done. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 23 through 25, Paul says, Hope Why do we still hope for what we can see? For hope is not about what we can see, but hope is about what we don't see. So hope is set on what we do not yet see, but what we know to be real and what we know to be substantially true. See, I don't hope for something that's imaginary. If I know it's not real, if I know it's not substantial, why would I put my hope in it? Our hope is not in an imaginary God. It's not in an imaginary Savior. It's not in an imaginary work that somebody did on a cross. No, our hope is real. It's substantially true. Jesus is the substance of our hope. We don't yet see all things in subjection to him, but we see Jesus. I don't see, I still see death and suffering in the world. Well, stop looking at the death and the suffering. It's real. Okay, it's real. But listen, get your eyes on Christ. I don't see death and all things in subjection to him yet, but I see Jesus and I know that he has been given the name above all names. I know that all things have been placed under his feet. It's not a question of if, It's only a matter of when I will see the consummation and the full manifestation of what has already been completed. What has already been declared to be finished. There is no work left. Christ finished it. Do you trust? Do you trust that he has? Get your eyes off yourself and off these other things. Set your eyes on him. Hope in him. Knowing that he is real and substantially true. Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
How can I have the hope of glory? Because Christ is in me. So when I look in that mirror, I don't see me. I see Christ in me. And it gives me hope, the hope of glory. 1 John 4, 8. We have faith because God is the author and finisher of our faith. We have hope because of the promise that that God has given us where? In Christ. And without God, without love, we have no faith and we have no hope. God is, listen church, God is the eternal everlasting one who never fails. Why? Because God is love. 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16. Both of those verses, John makes this declaration. For God is love. Love. How is love a more excellent way? Because God is love. How can love remain when all else fails? Because God is love. Love is never failing, eternal, and the greatest of all these. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God, for God is love. Have you been born of God? If you and I have been born of God, There must be love. Don't confuse love with the world's definition of love. Don't confuse love with some humanistic new age concept that love means there's never any suffering, there's never any bad things, there's never any lack, there's never... That's not what love is. If that's the definition of love, then then we might as well throw this Bible away and go find us a new faith. Because if we're going we're gonna to define God by good and evil and, and only believe in a God in which only good things happen, so is God only in control half the time and the rest of the time he's out of control? I don't think so. God is love. In everything. In every circumstance. In every situation, God is love. He never fails It doesn't matter whether I see things, all things in subjection to him yet or not. I better see Jesus. I don't have to see all things in subjection to him if I see Jesus because I know that Christ has already been given all authority. Whether I see it or not, it's real. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. That's not dependent upon whether he looks like the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And the commander of our destiny. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it looks like. If I'm looking to see all things now in subjection to him, I'm going to be disappointed. Because there's still death and destruction and suffering all around us. But you know what? I see Jesus. I see what he did on the cross. I know what this word declares. I'm trusting the living word. I'm not trusting my eyes. I'm not trusting my heart. I'm not trusting my feelings. I'm not trusting CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, Fox, or even if they are balanced and fair. I'm not trusting any of them. I'm trusting the living word. I'm trusting and I believe with all my heart. And whether I believe it or not does not really matter. He has already been given the victory, the position of authority. He has already had, he is already placed and seated in heavenly places. And the scripture says I'm right there with him. My suffering or my condition here has nothing to do with my position in him. And it has nothing to do with the reality of who he is. And so if we will begin to live from that reality, from that hope, from that truth, then we will be much less likely to become jealous of one another, to become offended and upset with one another, to become divided Because this person didn't do what I thought they should do or say what I thought they should say or act the way that I thought they should act. Well, there's not a place for my gift here or there's not a... So we won't have any of that. Because that's contrary to love. 
I won't be disappointed in God because I don't think God did what I thought he should do. I'm, God, I'm so disappointed in you. Listen, God can handle your disappointment. I promise you, he can. So don't, don't worry if you get disappointed, but don't remain in your disappointment. You know what? You can get angry, just don't remain in your anger. You can have unforgiveness. Just don't remain in your unforgiveness. People can do things and you can become bitter. Don't remain in your bitterness. Because if you're in love, if you're in Christ and he's in you, then, then those things can't remain in you. Eventually the Spirit of God will work those things out. And don't, don't resist his work. Embrace his work. This is why James writes his letter and he says, listen, this fiery trial, these things, these trials and tribulations that have come upon you, let, let patience have its perfect work. Let them produce in you something. Let, let that have its work in you. Let God work. Let him work. Let him work. Let him do what only he can do. Surrender and yield to him. Meditate. Listen, church, look into this mirror. Look long and look hard. And let God reveal himself to you. And as he reveals himself to you, you will stop seeing yourself and you will begin to see him. And as you begin to see him, you will begin to be transformed into the very same image. And then one day you'll wake up and you'll realize my fear is gone. I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. I'm not trying to make people believe I'm this or I'm that or I'm worthy or I'm... I, I just am resting in God. Because I know who God is and I know his love for me. And I don't have to prove anything to anybody else. I just need to let his life manifest through me. And I rest, I abide in him. I had someone tell me last week, I had a conversation with somebody. We were talking about abiding. And they said, you know, you said that word abiding. I've been meditating on that word all week. And God just began to, to make me begin to realize that I, I'm just to abide in him. And they said, it's brought such a peace and a rest to my life. And I realized how hard I was working trying to be this and be that and gain this, you know, favor with God and God's blessing and God's this and God's that. He said, I just realized I, I am just to abide. That's what Jesus said, abide in me. Abide in me. Rest in him. He's done all the work. Now rest in that finished work and let him work through you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, give the Lord a good hand. Stand to your feet. <laughs> Praise God. We thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your love. God, I pray that, Lord, we wouldn't just come here and hear a, hear a message, hear a sermon, and depend upon that, God. Lord, we should learn from everything and in every situation we find ourselves, whether it's listening to a sermon or, Lord, whether it's a life lesson, Lord, at home or at work or somewhere uh, in our daily life. Lord, we should always be learning. We should always be growing. We should always be looking, God, and abiding in you and trusting that you are working in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. But, Father, I pray that you would create in us, that we would give ourselves, Father, to a hunger and a thirst for your word, that, God, we would look into this mirror, that we would look, Lord, to begin to see you more clearly. That, Lord, as we look and as we behold, as we gaze into this mirror, Father, that we would be transformed into the very same image that it is revealing to us. That is the image of the Son, image of Christ. 
We thank you, Lord, that your promise is that you are conforming us to that image. That by your grace, God, you have chosen us and saved us. And Lord, it's the work of your spirit that is conforming us, bringing us, Father God, to that place of fullness, of completeness. Lord, here in our minds, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, coming to know what we already possess in you, that we are already complete. Father, help us to grow in the knowledge of that, that we would know what is the hope of our calling, the exceeding greatness of the power that works in us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Before we go, I want to know, is there anyone here and you say, I, I'd like prayer. I need prayer in my body for healing. I need prayer because I, I don't know if I'm saved, Pastor Jeff. If you're here and you want prayer, I want you to come and let's pray. Doesn't matter what the need is, big or small. If it's concerning you, it's concerning God. And there's not anything too big for him and there's not anything too little for him. Amen? So if you're here and you'd like prayer, please come right now and let us pray with you. Amen?